If you're looking for the next best thing to invest in, try investing in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early, which could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. So invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Visit GoForward.com to learn more about how Forward can help you manage your long-term health risks for one flat monthly fee. That's GoForward.com. It's no secret that writing can be lonely work, but does it really have to be? Whether you're full-time, part-time, or just starting out, you'll get insights into the tricks, tips, and production habits of writers from every level of the biz. From best-selling authors to those launching their first novels, you're sure to be in the company of friends as we encourage great writers to divulge and share their secrets. This is the Great Writer Share Podcast with your host, best-selling author, Daniel Wilcox. Hello and welcome to the Great Writer Share podcast with me, Daniel Wilcox, where every week I hijack an hour or so of time from some of the kindest and hardest working writers around today to join me on the show and discuss everything that makes them tick, raw and bounce. Today's date is May the 12th as of recording. It's day in lockdown um, and I'll dive straight into my personal update. So exciting news for me, the Collaborations for Authors ebook is currently up for pre-order on Amazon and I've set an official launch date, which I've been struggling with for a, a few weeks, but I finally managed one, which is June the 26th. Um, I'm hoping to have the paperback up on there ready as well for pre-order by the time that this airs um, this coming Friday. But yes, Collaboration for Authors is now available for pre-order. Um, I'm incredibly proud of this book. It's, it, it was one that kind of sprang out of nowhere. People who've been following the show know that I've not written any nonfiction before. This was something that has been in my mind for a while, something that I've wanted just to, to get out there. Um, I've spent up to it's coming up to half a decade now in terms of collaborating um, with a number of different authors doing different podcasts books everything in terms of collaboration and I've dumped that into one handy bumper guide which is about 50,000 words long um, and the fantastic thing about that is I've also included a lot of excellent writing talent as well so there are opinions and thoughts and case studies including people like uh, Michael Anderley and Craig Martell including people like Nick Cole including Jay Thorne and Zach Bohannon um, and a load of other people in there. So if you want to get a really rounded look at what collaboration is, how you can get involved in collaboration, and uh, generally just get started in collaboration itself, then check it out. Um, like I say, it's up on the Amazon store at the minute, or I'll put a link in the show notes for you now. And yeah, that was going live on Friday, the 26th of June. Also in exciting news this week, if you are looking to improve your writing and you are looking for someone who can teach you a little bit of craft, Mr. Jay Thorne, who is the wonderful man behind so many of our favourite podcasts um, and the one of the head honchos behind Molten Universe Media, is running a Supercharge Your Scenes course, which is a free five-day writing course. And I'll give you a little bit of the blurb here. It says, an online author community event to make your scenes magnetic. It's running from June the 15th till June the 19th, and that's this year. And uh, it's absolutely free. All you have to do is go over to the link that I'll throw in the show notes and you can get involved. A little bit more info says, do you struggle to write exciting, engaging scenes or articles? Discover how to transform your writing skills and be able to measure your improvement in less than a week. During the five-day challenge, Jay will post free lessons each day to walk you through the process of writing and revising compelling scenes, which will exponentially improve your novel or non-fiction book. And uh, Jay's definitely a mastermind in terms of working around these as a certified story grid editor. Um, Jay, Jay has a wealth of knowledge in this kind of arena. So if you're looking for some fantastic knowledge, if you want someone to hold your hand and guide you through some of this stuff, then five days, you, you can't really go wrong. And it's free. So just check that out. In horror news, I am still chipping away at my serial. I'm about halfway through book one of what will be the first episode of When Winter Comes. Um, I found it interesting this week that I've seen a lot of news of people who are looking at turning to the serial as a way of producing books. And uh, I'm trying to keep my eyes open to see if there's anything that can be pulled out of that data wise to work out whether or not this is a, an avenue that a lot of people could pursue in terms of trying to write larger works and breaking them down into small chunks for their audience. Um, so I'll keep you abreast of that knowledge, but yeah, just chipping away on mine and I'll give you updates as when that gets released, which I'm aiming to go for June, sometime in June, as well as the collaboration book, because I'm going to try and do everything at once as I normally do. <laughs> um, so yeah, keep an eye out for that. Today's guest is the incredible Mag Diamond, who is the award-winning writer of the memoir Bowing to Elephants. Um, and she is someone who is a testament to the fact that no matter where you are at your point in life, you can write your book, you can do whatever it is you want to do, and you can make things happen 
Mag started writing this book when she was in her 70s and she released it at the end of 2019 to a slew of awards and um, critical acclaim and it's it's done wonderful things and I've read a little bit of the book myself so far and it's beautifully written, it's really interesting so I definitely recommend checking it out. Um, within this conversation we cover things like what it means to write an award-winning memoir. We talk about documenting your life and we go very, very deep into Mag's journaling habit and how that's given her enough information over the years to recall things accurately and make sure that she's telling a compelling story. And we talk about mindfulness for writers and go a little bit into Buddhism as well, which always interests me because I think um, mindset and, well, people who listen to the show know that I'm obsessed with mindset and mindfulness and that kind of stuff, anything that will help you propel yourself forward on your author career and make it sustainable for, for as long as possible. One additional thing I should mention just for people who are curious when they listen to the interview is that yes, I do get Mag's name wrong through most of the interview and it's not until at the end when I realise that I should be saying Diamond instead of Dimond. Um, but Mag was grateful, she she didn't mind at all and uh, I can only say, Mag, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry, I'll get it right next time, I promise. But before we dive into the interview, I'm going to do a quick shout out to all of our patrons over at patreon.com forward slash greatwritershare, where for as little as $1 a month, you can get access to a load of bonus stuff, including um, early access to episodes, you can get ad-free episodes. I am on the cusp of releasing a, this is exclusive, listen closely, a six episode mini-series named Great Writers Learn, in which myself and an as of now mystery co-host, because I'm not going to reveal him yet, but he knows who he is as he's listening to this. Uh, we are, I've informed all of the patrons so far over on the Slack group and uh, news would make its way over to the main patron page. And particularly for new patron, Yanni Jade, who came over and joined this week. So thanks for your pledge, Yanni. It means so much to have the support of all you guys. Um, and like I say, I'm doing everything I can to provide you guys with extra value, extra bonus content. So anyone wants to get involved in the community, just head over to www.patreon.com forward slash great writers share. And soon there will be a six episode mini series of extra bonus content from myself and a mystery author. Exciting times. But without any further ado, let's dive into the interview with the one and the only Mag Diamond. Enjoy. Mag Diamond is the award-winning author of Bowing to Elephants, Tales of a Travel Junkie, which hit number one in five countries on the day it launched and just won Best Indie Biographies and Memoirs from Kirkus. Her book has been compared to Eat, Pray, Love in professional reviews and has received accolades from many thought leaders in the mindfulness space, including Jack Cornfield. Having written her first book in her 70s, Mag has also been honored in American Literary Review, Traveller's Tales Solace Awards, the Tulip Tree Awards, and the William Faulkner Wisdom Awards. Mag is a practicing Buddhist and dedicated member of Spirit Rock Meditation Center, north of San Francisco. The loves of Mag's life are her family, playing Buck on her grandmother's baby brand, meditating, traveling, knitting, watching the wild Pacific Ocean, writing, teaching, reading, and enjoying good food and wine with dear friends. Mag, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Fun to be here. No worries. That's a, I mean, that intro there, we've got a lot of things that you love. Do you want to just take us through some of your favorite bits on there and why you love them so much? Particularly, I was drawn to playing Buck on your grandmother's baby grand piano. Can you give us a little bit of a background? Oh, I was, I, was hope, I was hoping you'd ask about that. Um, I, my grandmother's baby grand was a probably the single most important thing I have in my life as a possession. Uh, my I learned to play the piano because of my grandmother and she, um, uh, she inspired me and I started lessons at about seven years old. Um, I wanted to be like her a great deal. And that was one of the ways I wanted to be like her. So, uh, eventually she gave me the baby grand when she stopped, you know, she lived to be quite old and she gave me the baby grand when she, um, when she no longer was playing it. And so I had it in my life then and I've had it ever since. So it's a sort of symbol of a great part of my life when I was uh, close to this woman who looked after me and inspired by her and so on. And I love classical music. I mean, if there's, one so possession in my, if there's one possession in my life I, I have to have to have at some point is a baby grand in my house. I, I cannot wait for that moment to happen. Um, and coming back to a little bit in the, we mentioned in the intro, so the Bowing with Elephants, Buying two elephants. Uh, sorry, is uh, is your first book? If I'm if I'm correct in that information, that's right. Yeah, and that came out of uh, the end of 2019 and has absolutely smashed it in in various different fields. What at what point did 
you start to actually look at the possibility of putting your life into words and think, okay, I'm going to start writing some memoirs? Well, I started writing um, literally from the from the time I was about um, oh eleven years old when I lived in Europe, and um, my mother decided to become a an expatriate for a while, so we went to live in Italy. And I was eleven, and my stepfather gave me a journal to to have to record my thoughts and so on. And so I um, I started writing about my life then, and about my thoughts about you know, just my, everything that was going on. And um, it was something that never stopped. And so when I began my sort of traveling crusade, um, I always took a, a journal or a, a nice notebook with me to, you know, to record and um, keep with me all the experiences that I was having. And so I had piles and piles of journals that I had amassed. And I kept thinking that one day, they were going to make a great book and uh, that I was going to be able to take all the, the goodies that were in those journals, those experiences and share them and get people inspired. And so, um, and I did a lot of other things in between, including teaching writing. So, um, uh, but I, I led a life, you know, I raised a family, I did all kinds of other things. And oftentimes I just put off the idea of sitting down and writing a book. Um, so it, it 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 wasn't until I was, you know, in my, probably in my 60s that I realized if I was ever going to do it, I had to get off, you know, I'd get off my butt and do it and not keep, not think about it anymore. Mm. And what was it, you said there that um, obviously something kept just putting you off writing. Can you pinpoint anything specific that was causing that hesitation? Oh, I think it was a feeling which I think a lot of writers have of lack, lack of self-worth and, or, you know, or the, the sense of, uh, who is going to care about what I have to say? Uh, I grew up with a mother who 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 really had a tr- had a lot of hard you know d- difficult time witnessing me and and supporting me, and so I didn't develop much self worth around my mother. Uh, my grandmother was a was a saving grace there, and she she believed in me and she adored in me, and that was helpful. But there was always that doubt in me that. Um, that I wasn't, that I wasn't significant or interesting enough. Um, and even when I ended up teaching writing to community college students, and I was trying to urge them to go ahead and write and tell their stories, I kept thinking, you know, it was almost hypocritical because I wasn't doing it myself, um, even though I was still continuing to keep journals all the time. Uh, and I knew I was a good writer. I mean, I... Um, I got degrees in writing in college. I um, I wrote essays and got some things published. Uh, and I knew by by looking at what I was writing that it was good, but I still didn't feel like my story was that much of a wow. You know, it wasn't that that interesting. And um, and it's uh, it's a lot of my conditioning. You know, it's just not getting enough support. I think. Mm. And you've you've spent a lot of your a lot of your years trying to um, I guess hone down and strengthen your mind. Um, obviously, we mentioned in the beginning as well that your uh, you practice meditation and all all the kind of mindfulness practices. At what point did that start becoming a a feature in your life uh, in terms of putting aside the negativities and looking at ways to improve yourself? Uh, it was back in the nineties. Uh, I was living in uh, northern New Mexico. I had left. Uh, I had left my husband of, uh, I'd been married for 25 years. My children were, were pretty grown by that time because I had them when I was young. And so I took off with this uh, eccentric uh, artist and decided to forge a whole new life for myself in Northern New Mexico. And that's where my teaching career actually was born um, it, it, and flourished. Um, and I, uh, I realized that even though I was on the surface of it having a good life and everybody sort of envied me and thought how cool it was, I would go off to New Mexico and do these, do these adventures. Um, it was like I was, I, I was really lacking in self-esteem. I made a good show of not being lacking in self-esteem, but, but I was living with somebody who, who didn't know how to be, who didn't know how to be a, uh, partner didn't know how to be 
a caring person. And I was really hurting. I was really, really hurting and in, inside. And I went to uh, a person for body work and she started to talk to me about meditation. And I thought to myself, well, I don't know if I can do that, but, but something in what she said got me to, to consider. And so I went to, to a group one night and there was all these people sitting around in this lovely little room and they're all on the cushions and everybody's very peaceful and calm. And as soon as I sat down and became part of this little group, I realized I had found this, this spot for myself where I could be at peace and where I could let go of some of the darkness. And, um, and that was the beginning of it. So that was in the nineties, early nineties. Mm. And it is so fundamentally important. I mean, um, obviously this interview is about you, my, my journey, the last sort of, I don't know, five, 10, probably about five years or so, I've definitely started looking down the path of meditation. I've, I practice it on and off. Um, a lot of the reason I started this podcast is to look at the, the mindfulness and the, um, I guess the, the, uh, my, my words are blanking ironically being a writer but the mental aspects of trying to strengthen yourself and find that positivity um and it's something that particularly for for writers i i feel like it's quite difficult or it depends how you, how you manage it because obviously some writers can find catharsis in the writing um but then there are these elements of sometimes needing to take a break needing to step back and just listen to yourself and one thing that um i found quite interesting what you said there was uh, with your your partner at the time there was, and the people that were looking in on your journey, you were, you were very much in the throes of putting on a mask and putting on a show of positivity. And I think a lot of people worldwide do that. And they, they put on these masks and think that they're living these lives. And it's not until you sort of really hit those crunch times that um, people struggle. Um, And this, this interview will likely air probably, it'll be about six weeks from where we're speaking. So I'm not sure where the world's going to be with coronavirus, but I can imagine a lot of people right now are in need of this kind of, um, opportunity to strengthen their mental capacity so what what kind of things would you suggest to people to start looking at uh, mindfulness if that is something that they're trying to to get into well um i you know i my buddhist friend and i we've been having interesting conversations lately and we all agree that there never was a time where people needed mindfulness more than more than right now and for me, one of the major sort of gifts of mindfulness is the um, cultivating of self-love, <clears throat> the cultivating of, of, of compassion for yourself in your human predicament and for your fellow beings. And um, it's, it's, it's a definite piece of the Buddha's teachings. Uh, you know, the, the legs of his teachings are wisdom the cultivation of wisdom and compassion and love. And those are the, those are the sort of the foundation, foundational pieces. And, um, and when I started practicing, I realized that I felt this non-love. I mean, I felt this absence of love in myself, but then I also saw that I was able to cultivate it by concentrating on certain kinds of phrases, by staying calm, by doing all, by, by slowing down, and you start out, and the point about meditation is you start out doing it on a small scale. You you start out meditating for maybe ten minutes a day, and then you and then you up it. You know, you it, it, eventually it becomes an incredibly comfortable thing to do. And you usually, I mean, I usually do it first thing in the morning because that's the the time of day when there's more peace in general in, in the world. And um, it's uh, it's it's an amazing journey to go on to find that you can actually make love grow, you know, yourself, you can, you, you can have this expanded sense of your worthiness and, and, and certainly that, you know, the value of all the human beings around you without judgment, you know? Yeah. I I'm going to be deliberately antagonistic here because I wholeheartedly believe in, in the stuff that you're saying. Um, but I know that there'll be people listening who, because I, I was similar um, going back a few years where you talk about things like obviously love and compassion and they seem like very, very wishy-washy things to, to say, to put on. Um, obviously things like journaling, a lot of people, um, particularly in the Western world, will see that as an eight-year-old girl sat just scribbling on some pages. All of these things do have 
really, really practical applications and particularly with writers can help with, like you've done yourself, you, you've honed your art of writing over the years. Obviously, I'm assuming that journaling has helped with that as well. But what would you say to the people out there who are completely skeptical and just don't, don't understand these concepts at all? How do you, how do you bring people over that, that barrier? Ah, uh, that's a, a big really, question. I know. <laughs> that's a good question. Um, well, I would say to people, uh, you know, how much, you know, look at the suffering in your life. Okay. You know, just step back a second and look at, um, the suffering that is in your immediate life. And then, you know, perhaps also look outside further and see the suffering that surrounds you. If you watch the news, you're not going to escape it. And, um, and if you can subscribe to the idea, if you can somehow open the door to the idea that through your own actions of good intentions and loving kindness, you can make a difference in the world um, and, in, and in your own you know, view of yourself, um, and, there, and therefore minimize or diminish your suffering, you know, um, why wouldn't you want to you know, investigate that? Um, it, it, it does sound, I can see how it sounds to people like it's all, it, it's a little bit sort of woo woo, as we sometimes say here in America, you know, mm. when you're trying to denigrate the people who are doing new age, uh, therapies and whatnot. But, you know, the, the Buddhist teachings go back 2,500 years and people have been practicing this stuff for all this time since the day of the Buddha. So in other words, there's something of value in this. Mm. That's the point. You know, the, there's wisdom in this. And um, and it really does have to do, and most people I know that went came to Buddhism, came to Buddhism because of suffering, because of, of serious suffering of some kind in their experience. Um, and they tried it out. You know, they tried these practices in a very modest way and then they saw that they felt differently when they opened up their heart to their fellow human beings and to themselves and when they you know allowed themselves to to feel emotion that was that was positive i i mean i don't know if i'm really doing the answer for the people who are the skeptics but uh, this is sort of what I imagine I would say to somebody who would who would look at me and say, you know, why should I try it, you know, or why why should I believe that it's valuable? No, I appreciate it. It's, it's a big question to throw at you, definitely. <laughs> I realize yeah. that, but I just, I just personally, I know that uh, from from my own experience, I remember there a time where I was the cynic and nothing that anyone could say would have made me cross that path. And it wasn't until I reached my own form of suffering and I, I realized I had to try and find a way to manage it. Um, but I started looking into this stuff and that's when I, I cottoned onto this stuff and, and saw it what more for the truth of how the practice is, as opposed to sometimes how it can be put across to you in, I don't know, TV or books or other things. Sometimes sadly, in, well, some, sadly, sometimes you have to experience the suffering to, to see the other side of it. What you what one of the things you have you have to come to terms with that that um, and no matter where you live in the world it's it's a challenge uh, but one of the key pieces of Buddha wisdom is that that everything is impermanent that nothing lasts and and um, and that people who try to make things last and try to hold on to things inevitably invites invite pain and suffering on themselves because it doesn't it doesn't succeed. So, um, you know, the, the, the idea that you live in a world where nothing is, nothing is forever, you know, that, that, um, that everything is always transforming itself into something else, uh, that creates a little bit of, you know, for some people that might create a little bit of anxiety, but it is, if, if you witness the world around you, you see that it's absolutely true. You know that relationships you have end, that people that you love die, uh, animals you love die, or you know that your trees outside uh, wither away in 
and lose their leaves in the winter and so on. And all these things are changing all the time. Um, and that all you really have to, to fall back on is your own sense of understanding of this and acceptance of it. And um, it doesn't mean life has to be grim if you accept that. But but it's 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 a little training in a way, you know, and you eventually do uh, find yourself at ease with that idea that that nothing lasts mm. and and uh, it makes it makes the losses that you encounter as you go forward uh, they're still sad I mean they're still going to hurt you inside, but they're not going to wreck you and they're not going to destroy you they're, you're going to see that that life is this amazing sort of mosaic of experiences and um and there's, you can't have the light without the dark. Mm. That's another way I like to look at it, that, that you have to accept the, the, the dark aspects of, of, our, you know, of our existence and, and, and you know, society's problems and all the rest of it, whether it's, I mean, there's just so many things that are distressing, but if we can see it in the larger picture, and know that everything is always transforming, you know, uh, then, then it makes it easier. And then you don't try to go grab things and make things happen that won't ever, won't ever happen. <laughs> if you're looking for the next best thing to invest in, try investing in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early, which could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. So invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Visit GoForward.com to learn more about how Forward can help you manage your long-term health risks for one flat monthly fee. That's GoForward.com. What does your, your journaling habit look like? How do you, how do you approach journaling? Uh... It, I don't really have a method, you know, I just, I buy a certain kind of notebook that I really like. I'm, I'm big on sort of the sort of the aesthetics of what I buy these moleskin notebooks, which are, uh, I think they're Italian actually. And um, I just like the way they feel. I like the way they look. I like the quality of the paper um, and they come in all different sizes. So you can get one, ones that are little that you can put in your pocket or you can get big ones that are, you know, big enough to, write and draw pictures on all at the same time. Um, and I um, often write, when I was traveling, what I would do is write always at the end of the day. You know, I would kind of sit down for an, you know, a good hour and really review my day. So I had everything kind of recorded there. How long when would I that write, take you? Hmm? How long would that take you? Oh, you know, you could do it in about an hour, I think, you know, and, 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 and but sometimes, you know, I would carry my journal with me. So I didn't have one of the big ones when I traveled. I, I, I would have a smaller one to put in your backpack or your whatever. And, and then if I saw something really amazing, I would sit, go find a place to sit down and, and just jot it down so that I didn't forget it. Whether it was a, you know, a building or a, a little person, uh, scene of people that were was unusual or whatever and and sometimes i actually make primitive little little drawings that kind of capture what i'm seeing and um but when i'm at home when i'm in my you know non-traveling life uh i i tend to like to write in the morning uh but i but i don't necessarily write every day at this at this juncture right now i'm trying to write every day because i want to record my feelings about the pandemic. I want to, I want to be able to look back on this and understand what it was like, because we will get on the other side of this. And, um, and, but I, it's important to me to, to record the roller coaster ride that this is, because it is, that's what it is. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, listening to you talking about having this library of journals of things that obviously have captured years and years and years in the past. It, it, it generally makes me envious because I, I love the idea of journaling. I've just never had the patience to sit down and actually log all that stuff. When it came to 
picking the stories that you wanted to include in Bowing to Elephants. I mean, you must have had a whole a whole stock of things that you could have added in there, things that you you must have been desperate to put in there. How do you how did you approach deciding which stories would fit the narrative best that you wanted to tell? Well, that's yeah, that's a really good question. I think that I first of all, I I had lost some of my journals. So there was a there's a yeah, I'm not always the most organized person. So uh, <laughs> even though I wanted to write about, um, I'm trying to figure out, I think it was Cambodia. Uh, I had to piece it together from some other notes I made or something like that. But um, the, I just, I think, decided that I wanted to write about this rich variety of experiences, which included living in Italy, included um a sort of love affair I've had in my mind with France for a long time, mainly because of food, because <laughs> I love food. And, um, or not only because of food, but anyway. Uh, and then I had traveled a lot in Southeast Asia and I had been to India and I wanted to include that. And um, so I just, you know, now I wish I could remember how I actually did start, but I had the pile of, piles of journals, right? And I just took, and I took a marker and I went through the, mar the journals and I, with a, with a colored marker and I just circled places that I wanted to bring into my book, you know, p bits of writing. And I just started with that. And then it kind of mushroomed, you know, it kind of developed as I invented upon, you know, here's the written stuff, but then I, then I kind of expanded it from my imagination. And then as I was doing this and thinking that what I was going to write was a series of travel essays, that's what I thought it was. My family started to show up in my mind, you know, my, my, my people from my past, my mother, my grandmother, you know, people like that. My mother really wanted to take part and she didn't want me just to talk about traveling. And I realized that this book had to be much more than travel essays. It had to be, this interweaving of, per, of personal history uh, from childhood and my adventures in the big wild, you know, wide world um, as I, as I grew into, you know, adulthood, middle-aged and so on, you know, I mean, cause I traveled incessantly for decades and um, uh, yeah, it, it, but it was always, I was always traveling because I was trying to learn something. I was trying to figure something out. And that all stems back to my childhood years because I was an incredibly curious kid who was always asking questions that nobody would answer, always wanted to know about things. The adults around me didn't, you know, paid me no mind mostly, except for my grandmother. And uh, so there's, there was this curiosity about what was different. That was really the driving thing. So the book then became this interweaving of backstory, like when I was an eight-year-old and sitting with my grandmother at the piano, okay? There's that interweaving of that with me in the present moment, listening to some music or whatever it was, you know? Mm. And, and so then I had to figure out a really clever way to weave these things in each chapter so that the reader didn't get lost because I would be going from, you know, uh, visiting a spice shop in India to then looking back on something in my past and I'd have to give the clear guidelines for the reader so they wouldn't, you know, like I say, they wouldn't be confused. Hmm. So that was, that was kind of a challenge and it was fun to do, to figure out how to do. When you went back to visit old points in your journals, um, I'm assuming you probably had a couple of moments where you thought, okay, I'm going to go back to this specific point. Did you ever find when you were rereading your notes that, that there was a, a difference in what you remembered to what had been written down? Yeah. Oh yeah, sure. Were those yeah, gaps, I, I were those gaps quite big? That's pretty common. Mm. And, and I think, we, I mean, our memory, you know, yeah, we have to admit that our memory is fallible. And that what we record on any given day, say we're, say we're, we've just gone to, a, we're in Paris and we've gone to a museum and we've recorded 
something in the journal about Monet's paintings or something like that. You know, we haven't recorded everything that happened. You know, we, we, we've recorded to the best of our ability in that moment. And then when you go back from another time, you know, to bring that into being as a part of your narrative, you're going to have to add to it. And you're either going to have add to it because you have additional memories that get conjured or you, you realize you can invent, mm. you can embellish, you can take the raw stuff, have, and build on it. So that's, you know, that's how some of this is, in a sense, it's, it's fiction. There's a little fictionalizing that's going on because, because nobody can remember everything that happened 20 years ago or 10 years ago or whatever it was. You know? I can't remember what happened yesterday, to be honest. Um, right. Exactly. <laughs> and and you so, so, so you have to give yourself that freedom to do that. Yeah. And that was, um, I love that part of the project when I was doing the book. And you mentioned a bit earlier as well that originally you set off to write a series of travel essays. And uh, at some point it became apparent that that wasn't the story that wanted to be told. Um, I'm always, I'm always fascinated by people's writing process and particularly people that end up submitting to the muse and just following on that process. So how, how far into the process of, okay, I'm going to write a travel essay. How, how, how long was it before you suddenly went, okay, no, all right, I'm going to go down this path of what is essentially unknown into trying to shape whatever this wants to be? Right. It was probably, it was fairly early on that it happened. Uh, I joined a group. I had the great fortune to join a group of writers. Um, this was run by um, a person who was a personal friend and a fellow teacher in uh, northern New Mexico, in Taos, New Mexico. And he and his wife did this group called Write to the Finish. And they would get gather these writers that wanted to finish a book project together. And we do this all remotely because some of the people live in the United States, some of the people live in Europe, they live all around. So it's, it's, you know, it's conducted in a variety of clever ways that don't involve people actually being together. Um, but there's a lot of interaction and there's, there's a lot of feedback you get from other writers about what you're writing. So it's like a, it's just like this wonderful 14 person writing group and it goes on for nine months. It's like a great experience. And so that helped me also see what I needed to do mm. because I felt that what I was writing in the beginning had a flatness to it. And, and I couldn't imagine people being excited about picking up the, the essays where all I talked about was churches and restaurants and, and, you know, beggar children and this and that. And so um, I was helped by people that responded to my writing. And that's what we did all to each other, for each other, you know. And, and I'd say I maybe was a couple of months into the project when I realized it was going to become a much bigger, this much bigger, broader uh, piece of work. How long was the, was the project in the works before you, you got it into a, a position where it was publishable? Well, I, I worked with this particular group for two different sessions. So I actually worked with them for, for 18 months total. Um, and at the end of 18 months, I had a completed manuscript. I also was facing my 70th birthday, which was kind of what I had promised myself. I'd get it done by the time I was 70. And, um, and then, you know, and, and then I, the teachers that were conducting the group uh, reviewed the manuscript and they're both really, really sharp people. I mean, they know how to critique a manuscript. So they gave me lots of, of uh, good information and, response and encouragement. And then I went on into an editing process on my own. You know, this was after, you know, taking the class and so on. And, uh, and I know that was probably another year or something. And then, and then I had somebody else review it. I had another writer in San Francisco review it for me. Um, and that wasn't as positive an experience as I had wished for, but uh, it was still a good experience to just get 
different people's take on it. Uh, and eventually I, uh, I realized it was ready to go. I, I remember asking my writing coach, uh, the, guy, one of the guy that ran this course, I said, you know, when do you know if you're finished, if, when you're really finished? <laughs> and he said, well, if you're asking the question, you're probably yes. <laughs> close to being done. <laughs> and, um, and then I began the, the rather, you know, challenging task of figuring out where to go with it and how to get somebody to pay attention to it. And you, you published a book through, um, it was She Writes Press, which is a, a hybrid publisher for women authors. How did you right. come across the press and how have they benefited, obviously, the book launch? Obviously, the book launch went very, very well. Um, yeah. But what was your experience like working with, with a hybrid publisher? Well, it was, it was absolutely great. I, it, was, it was a terrific learning experience. It was an experience of community. And I found out about them when I went to the San Francisco Writers Conference, it's an annual writers conference that happens uh, in the city, and I decided to attend it. And I was at a panel discussion about uh, independent presses. It was not just about hybrid presses, it was about independent presses, you know, the smaller presses. Because I knew my book was not gonna have an agent, and it was not gonna go to any of the big, the big dudes, you know, the big publishers. It wasn't, it wasn't that kind of book. Um, at least I knew that. And, and um, one of the people in the, on the panel was Brooke Warner, who is the publisher and, you know, the sort of person in charge of She Rides Press. And I loved what she said. And I, I immediately went on their website. I just, I went through everything they said about themselves. They're incredibly intelligent, uh, the way they run it. And I really liked this sort of formula that that was true about them and that is yeah you're going to pay them some money but they do a lot of work for you and the distribution of your book uh gets taken care of it and um the publicity part does not but the but the but the distribution was just a huge headache for writers mm. if they self-published uh Anyway, I liked the idea that it was an all-female uh, organization. I mean, I don't have anything against men, but I just it felt kind of kind of cool. And um, and every uh, person that I talked to that had anything to do with it was just really smart and 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 excited to support all these writers that wanted to get their books out. And the other cool part about she writes was that you got to, to play a part in the production of it. So, in other words, I got to to uh, help with the cover design. Um, I mean, Which I really- Which beautiful. Yeah. And I got myself a whiz-bang cover, cover design. I mean, I have to say, it actually just got, uh, it's, a, it's a finalist for, a, for an award, a literary, uh, a publish, uh, independent publishing award. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm thrilled for them. I mean, that's more a feather in their cap than it is mine, but- <laughs> um, but no, I got to participate in the cover design. I got to uh, participate in all a lot of the production phases of the of the of the of the manuscript. Um, I I was I had a project manager who I was in constant contact with, so I was really kind of, you know, taken care of. Um, but but they listened to my ideas, you know, and they listened to my thoughts, and so you get taken seriously, and it's kind of cool. Mm. And since and, you mentioned, oh, go on. No, no, go on. It's, it's oh. right. Well, I was going to say, since uh, since obviously you mentioned, um, you know, the word awards, and you've you've been put forward for a ton of them with, with this book. How have you reacted to how the book has been received by the people that have read it? Because obviously, it's it's done fantastic in terms of um, hitting number one straight away. Um, being compared to Eat, Pray, Love, obviously that's massive praise because that's that's a, a huge book. Um, yeah. And everything else that's come along with it. How how have you reacted to all of that success? Well, you know, I was um, I was surprised at uh, you know I got these trade reviews um, or as early as I could get them from people, and Kirk is being one of them, and they're sort of the most the sort of most revered of the trade reviewers, uh, and they gave me a star, which is kind of their you know top thing. And I remember when I first was told that I got the Kirkus star, I just like I I I felt my heart fluttering, and I just felt like oh my god. 
because I had no I had no clue what was going to happen when I sent this stuff out when I sent my my advanced reader copies out you know I did it because that's what I was you know was told to do I mean that you need to get trade reviews because you need to get you know some stuff happening in response to your book and the earlier the better and um so but you know the book hasn't been a commercial success I mean yes it's had some you know accolades here and accolades there and and in the very beginning, it hit big, but we we sort of did a sales gimmick to make that happen. So, you know, it it you know what it uh, it didn't get on the you know New York Times bestseller list. It didn't get reviewed by anybody from the New York Times, which I really would have liked. Um, but that's a tough that's a tough ticket. You know, you, you don't just get that by wanting it, and um, and to get noticed by the big big guns in the literary world is it's it's. Uh, it's very, very uh, tr- challenging. So, but but everybody who has responded to the book in the way that they have, and everybody has been touched by it, increasingly makes me really believe in myself. Well, a be grateful. First of all, be grateful that I managed to get it all done and accomplished, and that I overcame my my uh, insecurities and all that, uh, and. And 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 realize that I'm a damn good writer, and and I think it took this this wonderful generous feedback that I got to remind me of that. And if it's not a commercial success, so what? It has it, it continues to move people. People people write to me out of the blue, you know, and they tell me. Mm-hmm. Somebody just did recently. A woman wrote to me and said, in this in this scary time, your book brought me into a place of peace and I'm so grateful to you. And because the book's very intimate and, and it's, it's kind of like something you settle into and you kind of go along on the journey with me, you know, the writer. And it's, it's kind of, it's something cozy about it. Mm -hmm. So I could see why this woman felt that it gave her peace, you know? Um, So that just makes me happy. You know, the more, changes of 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 people's hearts for the better hearts and minds you know more of that hey i'll take it um you know i don't need the money from from commercial success you know i really don't um i mean i i love doing interviews i love doing um i love the kind of exposure that i've had that has brought me in contact with more people who are then asking me really interesting questions about the book and it's just and I'm getting exposure and that may in the end affect you know the sales of the book as we march along uh, I don't know but uh there's definitely something about being um vulnerable I think that a lot of people are scared of you know wearing their hearts on their sleeves and particularly putting themselves forward in such a public way that that they're telling their stories through these books um even if you know elements of it are fictionalized, the the bulk of it, the core of it, is 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 reality behind uh, someone's story. And I I'm working my way through the book. I'm uh, sort of a couple of chapters in, and I do have to agree that the the writing in it is rich and it's beautiful. And uh, it's it's something that's definitely sort of sucked me in. So I'm going to keep pushing forward on that. Um, we are coming up to time, but I do have one question, one big question for you before we go into our quick fire round, which I ask all of my guests, which is, why do you Mag Diamond write? Mike Dimond, apologies. Why do you write? Um, I write because I want people to listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> because, because, well, this is, I mean, it may sound sort of irreverent or whatever, but I didn't get listened to as a child. You know, I, um, and I was, I tried, but I didn't get listened to. And um, so I think this, this incessant activity of writing is me getting the words out there that, um, that I really believe in. And I think people should pay attention to and, and I'm owning them. And so, yeah, that's why I write. I, I, I believe I'm worth listening to. Beautiful. Okay. Are you ready for the quick fire round? I've got 10 questions. I'm going to throw at you as quickly as possible. Uh, they're nice and friendly. If you struggle with any of them, feel free to just say pass and, uh, can see you on the other side okay do you prefer forests or meadows forests what is your drink of choice um dry white wine 
What's your favourite place you visited? It's a tall order. Oh my God. Um, Kenya. What's one place you've not been to, but you wish to go? I want to go to Tibet. What book are you currently reading? War and Peace, if you can believe it. <laughs> uh, do you prefer cheese or chocolate? Cheese. What's your favorite animal? Cat. What's your favorite hobby to unwind? Uh, knitting. What's your favorite Christmas present you've ever received? Oh, a traditional teddy bear. What's your favorite song? Imagine by John Lennon. Beautiful choice. That's 10 questions. How was that? Not hard at all. (laughs) Beautiful. I do. You didn't even do it very fast. <laughs> no, I, uh, I I gave you time to think. Um, to be fair, sometimes I have had people on there that have really struggled with some of those and you, you really have to like bail them out. But no, you, you handled that perfectly. I do have uh, one more question, which is where can my listeners find out everything about yourself and all that you're working on? All right. Well, I have a website and it's um, magdiamond.com. That's M-A-G-D-I-M-O-N-D.com. On that website is everything to know about me, the book. Uh, it's my blog. I, I'm a rather successful blog blogger. Um, and um, uh, quotes from people about the, uh, about the book. Also, events that I'm involved in, like readings or podcasts and all that sort of thing. All that stuff's in there at magdiamond.com. Yeah. Perfect. And we wait until the end of the interview to realize that I've pronounced your name wrong the entire time. So I apologize for that. Um, But no, I just want to say um, from myself, thank you very much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, The book, like I say, I'm working my way through it is fantastically written. And I want to thank you for obviously sharing your life experiences in such a beautiful way. So thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's been a great pleasure. And I wish you in, in, uh, in your land, (laughs) <laughs> all the best and during these really hard times but um we are all thinking about a lot of people now and i just want to put that out there because yeah, we need absolutely. to we need to affirm that yeah and it's been lovely talking to you yeah same to you absolutely um and thank you everyone for listening and i will see you next week thanks for listening to this week's episode of the great writer share podcast next week i'll be talking to dystopian author claire littlemore don't forget you can get early access to every episode of the Great Writer Share podcast and the chance to ask upcoming guests any of your questions just by becoming a patron of the show. All you need to do is visit www.patreon.com forward slash greatwritershare and support the show for as little as $1 a month. One more time, that's www.patreon.com forward slash greatwritershare. Until next time.